All right, uh, so, so today, uh, today is a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, it's, it's not... Um, I don't have a prop. I, I, I feel like I, I've never really used props in sermons until I came here. I don't know what y'all did to me. Uh, but now I'm wearing Amazon reflective vests and I'm, I, and I'm, I'm bringing saxophones to church. Like I, I've never done that before. Allie's like, how, when did you become prop guy? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like just something about the people here. Maybe we want to bring props. So, uh, but I, we don't have that today. Today is, um, today's a little bit of a history lesson. Today's a little bit tougher sermon. And so I want to, I want to encourage you to, as we, we search the word of God together today, uh, let's, uh, Let's be mindful of what it says, because I have a feeling that this probably affects most everybody in the room, or has affected most everybody in the room at some point. Uh, Numbers twelve is uh, is tough because uh, it deals with an issue. Uh, it deals essentially what we would think of in the in the twenty first century church as church hurt. Um, it hurts to be to be hurt regardless for someone to, to talk about you, to say something about you, uh, to, to treat you uh, as a lesser individual, maybe because of your past or maybe because uh, of what they know about you. Um, and, and quite honestly, in, mo- in many cases, it keeps people from coming uh, to the Lord. I think there's this general idea in the world that we live in where nothing is free. Um, you know, everything, even the free stuff in our world has strings attached. Um, for people to believe that the call of Christ uh, is to come just as, just as you are. Uh, th- th- everybody's looking for what is, what's the string that's attached? What is, you know, what is the, uh, what's the catch, right? That's our, a big thing in our society. Um, and so as we look at today, we're, we're going to look at, at this, this picture of, of um, Moses' siblings, Miriam and Aaron, uh, who are going to, uh, who, who, who don't like, the favor that God has placed upon Moses and what appears to be a, a, a bit of favoritism that has, has sprung onto Moses. And Miriam and Aaron begin to feel pushed back. And what happens is they begin to, as they begin to feel more and more marginalized, they're going to strike out and they're going to strike out against Moses. And as they do that, it's going to hurt Moses. Uh, and, and, and church, let me tell you, and this is today's big idea is that, that the worst hurt that you feel is the wound that's inflicted by those closest to you. Like, I mean, I can have someone go out and tell me, you know, you, you know, you know, can like someone just on like out at the town center can say something about my mama or can call me fat or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and I'll just kind of go, yeah, okay, I'll try to sleep tonight. You know, like I'll try. Thank you for telling me. I'll try not to lose sleep. But if it's someone that I love, someone that's close to me, someone maybe even like within the church uh, that comes up and, and I find out that they've gossiped or they've said something untrue about me, I, I don't know about you, but that, that hurt when it's someone that I've let my guard down against, when it's someone that I've allowed into my inner sanctum, which means I've allowed, I, I've let my hair down, I, whatever. I, I mean, you know, where I've, I've like let, I've let you in. And because we all on some level, you know, try to put on these airs, right? We all have baggage, right? So don't feel like if you're sitting here today and, and you're like, man, I've got all this baggage that nobody in the church knows about. I promise you, everyone in this room has baggage. Everyone sitting behind their computer screen this morning watching online has baggage. We all have baggage. We just have different baggage. And we will allow, at times, we will allow certain people into our lives to the point where they see that baggage. How they respond to that baggage will determine how close we become to them and how much we allow them to get into that place in our lives. And then by doing so, we give them the key to know exactly the buttons to push that will hurt us the worst. 
Unfortunately, because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, in a fallen society, a fallen uh, world that is full of sin, sometimes when we let those people in, they will at times, whether it's to save their their own hide or whether it is to get in with a group of people, um, they will sell us out to do that. And let me tell you something, church, that hurts. Like, that's not even like a deep statement. Like that, it hurts when that happens. Here's the good thing for us, is that for the believer, we understand that the Lord sees it when we're hurt. And we're going to talk specifically within the context of the local church, church hurt. But this could be synonymous with family or friend groups or school or whatever it happens to be. That type of of hurt from those close to us is terrible, but the Lord sees it and the Lord knows it, which means the Lord in his sovereignty and out of his great love for us ministers to our heart, even in the midst of the hurt. So if you've walked in today and you've walked away from church, like you, you, like someone invited you back and you're here or you're, you're kind of like just trying to check out church online because you're not, you know, you've been hurt by the church. Uh, that's a term we, we refer to in the local church as being de-churched. Someone who has gone to church has been hurt by the church. And we don't want to admit that we're the one that sometimes the church hurts people, but sometimes the church hurts people because we're not perfect. So if that's you and you're watching online or you happen to come back in the room today, I want you to know, number one, you're not alone because I'm in the room and I've been hurt by the church. So you're not alone this morning. But more importantly than me being able to sympathize with you, the Lord sympathizes with you because he sees your hurt. He knows it. He wants to heal it. All right. So I want to do a little bit of a history lesson today uh, as we, we jump into Numbers 12 because it's a continuation of Numbers chapter 11. Uh, we saw the people were, were grumbling, and, and God says, you know, they're grumbling because they're kind of getting tired of the manna. God offers them quail, and they kind of snub their nose at that. And God says, fine, I'm going to give you quail out your nostrils. All right? And so he's like, you're going to be sick of it. You're going to be like, like just grossed out by it by the time all this is done. Uh, and, and Moses begins to feel the weight, the burden of leadership. And, and so God brings these elders that are alongside of him and begins to, uh, they begin to minister uh, to the people, takes a little bit of the heat off of Moses. Uh, and, and as we jump into chapter 12, um, you're going you're gonna to hear some terms. You're going to hear the term Midian. You're going to hear the term Cush or Cushite. Um, I, I want you to know that, that in geography, these are all the same places. Um, Midian uh, and Cush in the Old Testament are, are modern-day Ethiopia. So in the eastern side of Africa, kind of at the southern tip of the, or southern point of the, of, um, um, kind of, a, of the, it's kind of southeast of, of Egypt, but the Horn of Africa. I wish I'd put a map up. I didn't. Um, but but you, you get a picture of, of where this is. It's modern-day Ethiopia, okay? And so Moses married a woman from Ethiopia from, from who was considered to be a Cushite woman. Uh, we read in Scripture that, that the Ethiopians of today, we see that many Ethiopians of today are black, and so what we would consider to be African-American or African. And so they are, they are dark-skinned. Um, God's people, the, the Israelites, regardless of the pictures you've seen of Jesus uh, that show him in a Fabio, blonde hair, blue-eyed, lily-white skin, that's not Jesus, okay? Um, Israelites in, in, of, the, of the Old Testament, Jews of the New Testament, uh, 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 is, uh, is, you know, folks from Israel today, citizens of the Middle East today, are not white, uh, they, but they are, uh, they are darker skin, kind of an olive-shaded sh- olive skin. So they are darker, uh, but they are not black. And so 
So what you're going to find is, is that, that Moses married a woman who was not an Israelite. That's very important because the Israelites are not going to take it too kindly that their leader married someone that didn't look like them. And, and, and it, it, so as we look at this today, some of the same stuff that the church and our society deals with today in racism uh, was not only, is not only present now, but was also present back then. Uh, and, and we're going to see how Moses or how Miriam and Aaron leverage that, um, uh, that, that fact uh, to try to dig at Moses. All right, and actually the word Cush itself means, means black, okay? And so, um, and, and, and as a matter of fact, we see in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 13, Jeremiah is going to allude to uh, the Cushite skin color when he was trying to talk about, about people being able to change. Jer- Jeremiah says, can, the Cushites change, can a Cushite change his skin? The Ethiopian have, Ethiopians have a historical tradition that after the flood, one of Noah's sons, whose name was Ham, uh, went up the Nile River and settled in what is modern-day Ethiopia. And that became the Cushite people. Now, this tradition is also supported by, a, by the biblical count of the flood. It makes the Cushites one of the most ancient people groups in all of existence post-flood. Now, so, so, so now let's start looking at, 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 uh, at our historical context. Back in Exodus chapter 18, uh, Jethro, I mean, if Jethro, who was, who was a Midian, Cushite, Ethiopian, uh, he, was the, he was a Midianite priest, all right? This was uh, Moses' father-in-law, all right? Moses' wife was named Zipporah. And by the way, I've, a lot of this is at fcbc.life. If you go to the sermon notes, I'm, I threw up a bunch of notes to you because it's, it's going to sound a lot like my sermon because there are a lot of names, there's a lot of Old Testament words in it, and I want you to have it, okay? That way you don't come to me going, seriously, you talk too fast, because I know, I know I talk too fast. Um, all right, so with the historical context, Jethro, in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro goes to, uh, to Moses and he goes, he goes, man, you're doing this all wrong. He said, you're shouldering this entire burden of leadership on your own. You really should get some of the men that are around you that represent the 12 tribes. You should really, um, you should really like, like use them and, and, and be able to spread the wealth of, of everything that's going on. Now, remember, we talked about uh, uh, a few weeks ago that there were people that the Israelites had picked up on during the Exodus who, who they were walking around with that had started to follow them that were, non, that were non-Israelites. And so Moses married one of those, and that, and that person was Zipporah. So Jethro, Zipporah's father, advises Moses to share the responsibilities for the, for the single purpose that Moses, who is just one man, doesn't get burned out. Now, there was kind of a plurality of eldership that was going on within God's people. You had Moses, who was, who was the leader of the tribes. You had uh, Aaron, who was Moses' brother, who was the chief priest. You had Miriam, who was Moses' sister, who was uh, called, Exodus chapter 15 calls her, the prophetess of song. So I don't know if it's like, like a Craig kind of deal, like leading in worship. I don't know what that's like. But anyway, uh, so, so th- that was kind of the triumvirate of leadership. Honestly, it's great advice, spreading the wealth so that, that one or two people don't completely get burned out. Because what happens in, in Exodus chapter 19 is that Moses is going to go up onto Mount Sinai. God is going to give him the law. He is going to come down, and then everything is going to change. 
Okay, And so things are going to get much busier because now they are having to keep the law as they travel. Now, what we're going to find today in that today's passage is that, that Moses' own siblings, uh, and Miriam in particular is going to be the one who's going to bear the brunt of the judgment, but along with Aaron also begin to speak poorly. Uh, they begin to get jealous of Moses. Of, of, because remember, Moses is the one, they didn't go up with Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up alone, gets the law. He's hidden in the cleft of the rock. He comes down looking like he's, he stood next to a radioactive isotope. And he's like all like, like shining, like the Shekinah glory is, is radiating off of him. Moses gets to do all the fun stuff. And Miriam and Aaron just have to sit there and do the hard work. And what they do is an ugly picture of what living in a sin-filled world looks like. We're going to read the whole chapter together. We're going to read verses 1 through 15 of Numbers chapter 12 together. And then we're going to unpack some of the issues that we see in this. And then how do we as the church, how do we respond to it? It says, Mary and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman with or whom he had married. Okay, so this is what they do. Let's stop there for a second. All right, I know, it's the first verse. Um, so, so here's what they're, they're going to do. I need, you, I need you to understand something that I learned in marriage a long time ago that I use in marriage counseling and in premarital counseling. The issue is never the issue. The issue is never the issue, okay? I, 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 have, I have used it in, in counseling time and time again. Uh, many times, and it's also true in church work, right? There are times that, that I, I have, not recently, but I have walked in to the room uh, and, and I have asked Allie what is wrong and she says nothing. I, I, you know what I've learned in marriage? That's not true. If she says nothing, that's not true. All right, There is something wrong and I have to figure out what it is. Okay, because I know my wife, I love my wife, and thankfully she's a little bit more of an open book, and I'm a dunce, okay? So, so she generally tries to make it a little bit easier for him, but, but there are times I walk in, and th- what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Okay, all right, let's figure it out. All right, the issue is never the issue, okay? Uh, and, and that's the deal. Look at how, Mo, how Miriam and Aaron, look at how they spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married. He didn't just walk off of the altar with her, okay? He had been married to her for a while, and now they had an issue with her because, because she was not an Israelite, because she wasn't part of their people. Verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Here's the issue. It it isn't just that she married a girl that that looked different than them. Now it's because Moses has the the favor of God. He said, has he not? And and, uh, they said, "Has, has has he not spoken through us also? Moses gets all the glory and here God's using us too. And we don't even, we don't get to, our face doesn't shine. Okay. I could rail on this for hours. Into verse two, very important. Underline this, circle it, highlight it. And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. That sounds, that sounds like he's humble bragging, okay? That's not necessarily the case. We're going to go back and talk about it in a minute. Said, and suddenly the Lord said, said to, uh, to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. <laughs> and the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron, Aaron, sorry, Aaron, called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. 
With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. And when the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. That's the right answer. He said, Let not her be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, please, oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside of the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. <coughs> After that, the people set out from Hazeroth and camped in the, the wilderness of Paran. All right, three things I want us to look at today because we're already running out of time. One is uh, we need to look at Miriam's issue because we really need to look at Miriam's issue, all right? Um, a mentor of mine uh, once, well, like I told you, I once shared this, this thing with me. The issue is never the issue. All right. So often we find within church work that, and I find within church work that someone comes to me and they have an issue with something going on in the church. And, I, and, and when they say it, like, I don't want to look at them and go, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a weird hill to die on. Like, it's a strange hill. And, but, but honestly, it's very rarely ever that. It's generally something else. Look at what Miriam does. Miriam and Aram do. They speak out and they, they, they say, they spoke out, verse 1, against the Cushite woman he had married, for he had, had married a Cushite woman. All right, so Moses, or Miriam accuses Moses. I'm going to get that back, backwards all day. Miriam accused Moses of being disloyal to the Lord. Did she come out and say it? No. She found a way, she found the one thing that when Moses looks around, his wife was different than all of the other guys' wives, and, and that was always kind of a thing. Was, was, was the issue with Miriam really that, that, uh, that Moses married a woman that was a non-Israelite? No, but was that, was that probably an issue? Like a little bit, yeah? Because while that's the issue, it's not the main issue. You find the main issue in verse 2, where they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Like, like what do y'all like? Why does he get all the good stuff and we're just sort of in the back, the background? Why can't we be in the front too? The issue was not that, uh, um, the issue that was not made to be the issue was Miriam's and Aaron's jealousy of Moses. God allowed Moses to go up on Sinai. It was Moses who was hidden in the cleft of the rock. It was Moses whose face came down and then, and, and then all the things that went along with it. Up to that point, the three of them had kind of led the people together. But then Jethro comes along and makes changes that ultimately, don't miss this, that ultimately dilute Moses, Miriam, and Aaron's authority. You want to get a picture of someone's character? You take away a little bit of their influence and authority and see how they react. Yeah, that's why I love being the interim pastor. All right. <laughs> What I've learned, what I've learned in 15 years of, of church work is this. 
And if you're a guest with us, I want you to understand, I don't see that here. But I'm also not as deeply involved as I have been. It's everywhere because we live, because sin is everywhere. What I've learned is that in the church, Christians from time to time can become power, can become power drunk. When we forget that it's ultimately, that our church is not congregationally led, okay? Like we don't, like you don't vote on Charmin or Bounty, you know, toilet paper, all right? You, you don't vote on single ply versus two ply, all right? When, when we understand, or when we forget that this is ultimately not a monarchy either, you don't have a king who is over the church who basically says what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, even in a plurality of, of, of leadership, when we forget that the church is ultimately a theocracy where God is at the top and guides and directs our steps, when we forget that, the local church becomes our own kingdom. And in that kingdom, there are territories. Worship ministry, nursery, senior adult ministry, student ministry can all become, can become kingdoms that we become territorial over. And when the moment comes that because the church decides to go a different direction or do something differently, when our influence becomes diluted, we fight to preserve that which we feel we deserve. Now, put that aside for a second. I want you to understand another, another statement, okay? And this may save your life, and I hope it does. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Aaron and Miriam were hurt by their perceived diminished role. And they struck at the one place they knew they could hurt Moses the most. His family. In 1994, Stella Lieback, she was a 79-year-old lady who just wanted to go to McDonald's and get a cup of coffee. I feel you, okay? There was no Starbucks at that point, and so you went. And honestly, McDonald's has good coffee. I, I just, you know, I love it. All right, so if there's no Starbucks around, I will, go to, I will go, to, go to McDonald's. Stella goes through the line. She had her grandson with her. She goes through the drive-thru, and she gets a cup of coffee. Uh, was going to put cream and sugar in it, and they gave her the sugar packets and the creamer, little creamer packets. And, and she puts the cup of coffee in between her legs because she was driving a 1993 Ford Probe uh, that had, um, that had uh, no cup holders. Like, what kind of car didn't have cup holders? In today's day and age. And so she, she puts the cup of coffee in between her legs to hold them while she, was, um, while she was fixing her coffee. Well, at some point she let off the brake, something, something sloshed. And when, it, when, the, when, when the vehicle moved, the entire cup of coffee was spilled on her upper legs. And she, she received second-degree burns. And she sued McDonald's because they didn't tell her that her cup of coffee was super hot. Okay. She won $3 million in damages because her coffee was hot. I never get over that story. So my question to her is, what did you think would happen? Like, what did you think was going to happen when you jostled your coffee? I mean, ice cubes weren't coming out. Hot coffee was going to come out, which is why when you go to Starbucks, you go to McDonald's, you go somewhere and get a cup of coffee, they have to print on the side of the cup, this cup contains hot liquid. 
when you're jostled, eventually what's inside of you is going to come out. And what's inside of you, that which you can control, you can't control how it spins out. Miriam could have chose any way. This is why I want to camp here a little bit, just for a moment today. This is kind of chasing a rabbit. We're going to get back on, on track here in a minute. Miriam chose to, to play the race card. She chose. That was how she knew that she could hurt Moses the most. And what the, the bitterness that was inside of Miriam when she was jostled by her perceived influence uh, being diminished, what was inside of her sprung out and she lashed out because Moses married a black girl. Here's what that case taught us. With Miriam, when she was jostled, what came out was a bitterness towards someone that looked differently than her. Now, that is something that is probably known in Moses' family, but was never spoken of. That was Zipporah being a Cushite. And church, that's what racism is. This passage is not about racism, but it includes it, and so we're going to address it. Racism, church, is a learned behavior. If we truly believe, John 3.16, that God sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, how could we not look at something that God created, that God loves, and not feel the same way that God feels towards them? How can you look at someone that speaks a different language than you, that has a different, um, that has a different skin color than you, or is in a different socioeconomic bracket than you, and feel that they are less of a person because they don't look like you? What gives you the right to feel that way? You are just as broken as anyone else. Church people should be leading the way in rec racial reconciliation because Jesus paved the way for it. He purchased our pardon that we might be reconciled to God. Why would we not want to be reconciled to each other? And quite honestly, it's time for the church to put away the ignorant thinking that it's government or secular organizations or social groups that they should be the ones that had the racial reconciliation market covered. The church, it's, the church of Jesus Christ literally has the uniting spirit of the spirit of God that dwells within us. The first hand that should be extended to, towards a lost world, regardless of race, color, creed, language, socioeconomics, or whatever, should be the hand of someone that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I could rail on Miriam all day. Thankfully, the Lord doesn't. We find, secondly, we find the Lord's response. And I love this response. All right, so side note, verse three. All right, um, this sermon may go a little longer than I expected. Um, all right, verse three, the end of verse three. Was Moses humble bragging here? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Like, I was going, well, you know, Moses was one of the meek, you know, he's one of the meekest uh, that ever walked the earth and more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And yes, yes, who, who wrote numbers? Moses, right? Like, remember, Moses wrote all the first five books of the Bible. Yes, even the ones after he died. And so, uh, 
that, that's a different story. For, that's a story for another day. Uh, he dies at the end of Deuteronomy. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that later. All right, but there is historical evidence that either Joshua or Ezra, under the inspiration of God, went back and added certain facts into the things that Moses wrote um, just to give people context. Because again, Moses was not a learned guy. He was, uh, but Joshua and Ezra uh, were both inspired by God, more than likely to go back and write some things. All right. Could Moses have been divinely inspired to tell, to tell anybody who would read the best-selling book of all time that he was super humble? Yes. Do I think he did it? Probably not. Um, but what I love about this is, because is, I'm telling you, if someone, if, if someone comes up to me and, and gives me beef about Allie, we, it's on like Donkey Kong. All right? All right. You're not giving Allie, you're not giving Allie grief. You're going to go through me to do it. It's no fun. Look at what Moses doesn't do. At the end of verse 3. It talks about how meek Moses is, and then all of a sudden, and suddenly the, the Lord shows up. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out of here, you, come out here, you three. <laughs> Moses didn't clap back. The Lord fought his battle for him. A friend, understand something. Christian people are going to talk. We're, still, we're saved by grace, but we still live in a sin-filled world. And we will fight that until the day we see Jesus face to face. Church people will hurt you, but I want you to know this. The Lord sees your hurt, he knows it, and he will deal with it in his perfect timing. The hard part is that we want our timing to coincide with his timing. When someone, especially inside the church, hurts us, we're tempted to clap back, either verbally or on social media. Moses' non-response I've always been told no response is a response. He let the Lord fight his battle for him. Look at, the, look at the example that we find in Isaiah chapter 53. This is the example of Jesus. Now, when Moses did this, he didn't have the example of Jesus, but we do. Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53 is a messianic prophecy. Verse 7, it says, he, this who would be Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Moses prefigured Jesus here. He pointed to Messiah who would also handle his detractors in the same way. We would do well to follow Jesus' example. Was Moses perfect? No. Uh, did he sin? Of course. Even as the leader of the Israelites, of course he did. Did the Lord cast him aside like he was unusable for the kingdom of God? Never. But let's understand the Lord's character here. Verses 6 through 8. We see that, that, that the Lord heard the siblings' grumblings and addressed the issue himself. He reaffirmed Moses and he rebuked the siblings. Church, if God has placed you in a place of leadership and you are following him, he will always affirm you. But verses 9 and 10 show us that there are consequences. Look at verse 9. It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. There are consequences, church, to shaking your fists at the Lord and his plan. God was angry, and there were consequences to Miriam and Aaron's sin. Finally, we see this morning, we see Moses' intervention. Look at how Moses responds to Miriam becoming a leper. <laughs> I mean, my natural response would have been, good. I hope your finger falls off. Go grab some gauze. You're going to be fine. 
So what does Moses do? <laughs> what I wouldn't do. Verse 11. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Moses, verse 13, cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. Begs. Look at please twice. Please, God, please heal my sister. This is also how Moses prefigures Christ. He intercedes for Miriam, even though Miriam completely deserved everything she got. Jesus did the same for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Jesus prays for us. As a matter of fact, our high priest is constantly interceding on our behalf. In our righteousness, in our sin, in our unbelief, in our hurt, Jesus prays for us to the Father. Verses 14 and 15, I want to share with you this, we'll be done here in a moment. Um, it shows us what, you know, because honestly, like, one thing I've learned, like, after COVID and all being cooped up together, one thing I learned, being cut off from your family for seven days isn't always a bad thing. I mean, can we just admit what it is here? Um, unless, I, I, it's a joke, it's okay, people, you can laugh, it's all right. History shows us that this particular week-long stretch was particular. Uh, the, the week that is... That, that uh, God cuts Miriam off from the family and casts her out is actually during a feast, and that's the Feast of Weeks. Based on the dating that we have back to the Passover, this particular feast took place 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, also known as the Passover Feast. This feast would become important down the line because the Feast of Weeks would carry a new meaning. When in Acts 2, during the Feast of Weeks, Peter would get up and in Acts chapter 2 and he would share a sermon. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. 3,000 men would be saved. The Holy Spirit would rain down on the place. It's a, this happened during a historical time. What we would know would become Pentecost in the New Testament church. Miriam's separation was important. Her separation from the Israelites would be a foreshadowing of missing the feast, would foreshadow the Israelites' rebellion at Kadesh. But it would also foreshadow the redemption that would come through Jesus. That there are always consequences to our actions. But if the Old Testament has taught us anything, church, where we sin, God's grace abounds and he restores us to himself. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verses 20 and 21, he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Frank, can I tell you, if, if you're like Moses today and someone's hurt you, you're watching online, someone's hurt you, someone said something bad about you, and you, you said, I would never go back to church. I had a guy that was in my first pastorate, came and took me out to, out to lunch my first day. I hadn't even unpacked my office. He said, preacher, can we go to lunch? And I said, sure. He took me to lunch, and he said, he said now I give faithfully to the church. He said, but I won't come on Sundays. And I said, well, why? And he goes, that's between me and the Lord. And I said, okay, well, fine. I said, well, it's nice to meet you. I'd love for you to be a part of church body life. Honestly, he never darkened the doors as long as I was pastor there for five years. And to my knowledge, um, still hasn't. Um, 
I found out from someone later that 40 years earlier, you can't make this stuff up, 40 years earlier, at a homecoming lunch, someone said something about his wife's deviled eggs. (laughs) And they walked out of the church and never walked back in. You and I look at that and go, okay. You may, but they were, they were legitimately hurt over it. Someone may have legitimately hurt you, and you said, I, would, I will never be a part of a local church. Friend, can I tell you, the local church will hurt you just like anybody else will. But Fort Caroline, we don't have to be those people. As we strive for righteousness, let's strive for unity. But if, if, if you've been hurt by the local church, the Lord sees your hurt. The Lord knows it. And he wants to minister to your wounded soul today. Now, if you were like Miriam and Aaron, get a grip. Don't do stupid stuff. See people the way God sees them. Not by color or creed or background but as sinners in need of a Savior. And maybe the root of racism won't take it this church. And maybe this church can be, can lead the pack to healing a split nation out here. Let's be faithful today. Father, we love you and we honor you. And God, as we leave this place today, may we go knowing that you hear our hurt. You see it, you know it, And you want us to bring it to you. For you tell us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Father, as we go today, God, may we, I pray for our country. It seems more divided than it's ever been. Father, I pray that the church would lead the way towards loving people the way you love them and seeing people the way you see them. If we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen.